This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Fred Gatchett talks about the right to be wrong. And now, here's Father Fred Gatchett. Oddly enough, one of the rights that makes us most human could well be our right to be wrong. That is to say, as human beings, we have the right to make decisions and then to make those decisions and take actions on our own authority. Actions such as marrying or not marrying or the kind of work or career that we choose to go into, whether we sleep in on Saturday morning or go out at bright and early, those are all decisions that we can make on our own authority. I think that that probably dovetails with the with the biblical teaching that we're made in the image and likeness of God. God takes initiative on his own authority. He doesn't really answer to anybody. Um, We do ultimately have to answer to God. That much is certain. But on earth, God gives us tremendous leeway to do what we should and should not do. And one of the rights that we have is the right to be wrong. If somehow or another someone takes away from us or completely you know, watches over us, kind of in the case of the nanny state, to where we can never make a mistake or that we can never have to face the consequences for things that we might do, then where is our freedom? Where is it? We're, we're not really being human beings anymore. And so there are many other decisions that belong to the individual, but growing re- government regulation seems to be eroding many of them. Well, I think that first of all, what we have to understand and what's been kind of lost in the public conversation in this country is the integrate relationship that um, exists between freedom and responsibility, individual freedom and individual responsibility. In our culture, we seem to be very, very much in favor of individual freedom. Um, the individual should be able to do whatever they want. Um, we hear all kinds of words about people talk about choice and freedom of choice and so on. And, you know, as far as that goes, that's all well and good. You know, whether you eat a Snickers or a Milky Way, whether you drive a Ford or a Chevy, I mean, things. some of those things just really don't matter in, in the grand scheme of things. But there are other things that we have to do. For example, the way we drive and operate our cars. If um, someone is going to be irresponsible with their car, then, you know, law enforcement rightfully takes away their freedom to drive that car and so on. I mean, I I think that if we look back in some of us that are older now, I'm almost 50 and I can look back in my younger years days when I was eight years old riding on my bicycle um, around the house and my dad would give me a couple of quarters and send me down to the store to buy a package of cigarettes for him. Again, most of us pretty much agree that cigarette smoking is not a good thing to do. Back in those days, it wasn't seen as that bad of a thing. And I could show up at the store and tell the cashier that I wanted a package of cigarettes. And the cashier would usually give me a little bit of trouble, you know, making sure, are those for you, boy, or are those for your daddy? You know, and say, well, they're for my daddy. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure. And they'd sell it to us. Why? Because there was individual responsibility. Back in those days, people could assume, and rightly so, they could correctly assume that children were very, very much under the control of their parents. And so the the cashier at the store didn't really have to worry about some eight-year-old kid, you know, going out and getting himself sick on smoking cigarettes or something like that. We look out here in the rural parts of western Kansas, how back 30, 40, 50 years ago, you'd have eight, nine, 10, 12-year-old kids driving wheat trucks driving farm vehicles, you know, driving into town, you know, a 10-year-old kid driving the pickup into town to get a part for dad, things like that. Why? Because they were under the control of their parents and there was responsibility for that freedom. What we find 
is as individual responsibility goes away, then bad things happen. When people cease to be responsible, bad consequences come from that. And then the governing bodies, the legislatures, the city councils and so on, kick into gear and try to make up for the lack of individual responsibility and individual integrity with increased regulations and laws and so on. And so people very often will very correctly complain that their freedoms are being eroded, but what they don't connect that with is the fact that the freedoms are being eroded because individual responsibility is being abandoned by people. That somehow or another, that if something goes wrong, if I do something that makes something go wrong in my life, somehow I'm not responsible for that. You know, if you have some kid who graduates from high school and can't read, the news media will come in and berate the school. What is wrong with this school? Why can't this person read at even a sixth grade level when he graduated from high school? Oddly enough, they never ask individual questions about the specific student. They'll never go in and say, well, was this student habitually tardy or truant from class? They will never ask, was this student a habitual um, kind of a discipline problem for the school? It's always some corporate body's problem, corporate body's responsibility. It's the school's fault. It's the insurance company's problem. It's the church's fault. It's the government's fault, things like that. And as we see more and more individuals then, abandoning their responsibility to some larger corporate group, whether it's you know one of those ones I just mentioned, then we see that freedom goes away along with it. But I think we have to go back and ask ourselves about this freedom to be right or wrong. Here's a few examples. For example, I have the right to use tobacco if I want to. I have the right to view pornography if I want to. All right. We have the legal right to use contraceptives. And those are kind of the three examples that I kind of want to stick with here. We can talk about tobacco, pornography, contraceptives. What are those things going to kind of have in common? Well, one thing is all three of them have a deleterious effect on human life. They have all been shown to harm us physically, emotionally, and socially. We know, hopefully anybody hearing my voice doesn't need to hear a litany of the health problems associated with using tobacco. If it's the kind of tobacco you smoke, there's lung cancer, there's cardiovascular disease, and all those things that we all know so well. If it's chewing tobacco, there's mouth cancer, tooth loss, all those various things. So we have the right to use them, but we know there are bad consequences associated with it. As the pornography explosion is still going on and on like a wildfire around us, again, we're seeing more and more problems with that. People claiming to have addictions to pornography, families that are being destroyed, um, younger people I think that are coming up, I think the real tragedy is going to be is we're going to find more and more of our young people that are going to be getting into the ages of trying to have real relationships with real people. And they're going to find that their ability to have those relationships is going to be severely curtailed or you know severely stunted because of the effect that pornography has had on their way of thinking and of viewing human relationships. And of course, you know, the, the whole thing with contraceptives. I know that Father Josh on a number of occasions, or at least one occasion earlier on here on Double-Edged Sword, has gone through and, and cataloged and chronicalized the various um, bad effects that we have had from the various art forms of artificial contraception. That, you know, it's had a very bad effect on marriage, you know, really um, caused the divorce rate to go up, and that we find that even in the materials that come with the birth control pill, they warn us that um, people that take birth control pills have higher incidences of blood clots and, and breast cancer and strokes and things like that. And so, you know, again, we have the right to do these things. 
I have the right to smoke or chew. I have the right to view, view pornography. We have the right to use contraceptives. But, you know, what is this doing for us? They are all harmful. We have the right to engage in those behaviors. And so, therefore, I think we can see we have the right to be wrong. Now, the problem that comes up then is, is that if I say, okay, I have this right. I have the right to smoke, for example. I have the right to view pornography. I have the right to use contraceptives. Well, does my right to do that, does my right to be wrong, this is going to be kind of the first question we're going to try to tackle here. Does my right to be wrong, the right on my part, imply an obligation on your part, on the part of someone else, to cooperate with me in that? I'm going to say that again. Does my right to be wrong imply an obligation on your part to cooperate with me in that right to be wrong. Now, let's look at our examples here and we'll see if we can come to a conclusion. Let's say that you own one of those old-fashioned downtown drugstores, like what we used to see a lot of before you know, the big stores came in. But you own a downtown drugstore, maybe in one of the smaller towns around Hayes, you know, where, where they don't really have a Walgreens or something like that. And so you say to yourself, well, I'm a pharmacist. I've gone to school to be a pharmacist. I know how medications and so forth work. I know what I'm doing. And I'm in the business of curing people and helping people to stay well. And so you look at your drugstore and you say it's counterproductive for me to sell tobacco products. The health problems associated with tobacco, cancer, cardiovascular disease, and so on, are very well known and medically proven. Therefore, I will not sell tobacco. In our anti-tobacco craze society, such a decision would be praised probably for two reasons. First of all, you would be hailed as a great guardian of the public health. Um, you, you know, people would say, hey, look at this pharmacist here. They're standing up and they're saying, I can't really make people sick and make people well at the same time. And so he's not selling or she's not selling tobacco. Good for him. Good for her. Others still, those who still believe in free enterprise would say, it's your store. It's your private store, your private business, and you can sell or not sell whatever you want. And so perhaps people would um, say that, well, that's your right. It's your store. You can sell what you want. So far, so good. Now, let's push things a little bit further, though. You still own your drugstore, and you know there is overwhelming evidence that pornography hurts marriages and distorts people's views, especially the views of the young, in regards to human relationships. It fuels violence against women and denigrates women as objects of pleasure. And so, as a member of the allied health professions, you see this as going against your responsibility to the health and the well-being of the community where you have your store. You're trying to be a good corporate citizen, as they say. And so you go to your magazine section and you've got the various magazines of, you know, the news magazines and the, you know, the household magazines about how to keep a clean house or how to bake a better cake or whatever. And you just say, well, in my magazine section here in my store, there will be no pornographic materials. And so you just make sure that whoever your supplier is for your magazines, you know, you tell them, I don't want any pornography in my store. Now, how would that be received? Well, probably pretty well. I think a lot of people, especially here in the Midwest, um, they would say, you know, that's a good thing that, that this um, business owner is standing up against the, the culture of pornography and saying, well, we're not going to have that. Now, I'm, I'm sure that um, there, there would be, you know, some people around here and there, a few loose cannons that would say, well, that's censorship. That, um, you know, maybe the, especially if you're the only drugstore in town, they might say, well, you have to 
put out the pornography, and then people, if they want to read it, that's their right. But you would not have the right to restrict them from reading that. Well, maybe not. But I think that at the same time, again, you could very easily say, look, it's my store. I'll sell in it whatever I want. So, again, I think that if you had one of these, um, you know, a, a store owner, a drugstore owner, a bookstore owner, whatever, that would just kind of say, well, I am not going to sell pornography in this store. You may have the right to read it, but your right to read it does not imply an obligation on my part to supply it. You may have the right to smoke tobacco, but your right to smoke tobacco on your part does not imply an obligation on my part to supply you with the tobacco. All right. So again, for some, you know, um, you know, for, with, for someone that has some degree for the responsibility of people's health, maybe you review the information on contraceptives. You're a pharmacist. You're a scientist. You've had to go to school for a long time to learn all this stuff. And maybe you just take the time to read the libretto that comes with the birth control pill. And you take a look at it. And again, you see that women who take the birth control pill are at a higher risk of blood clots, strokes, breast cancer, and other health problems than women who do not. Furthermore, you might look at the social consequences of 50 years of contraceptive use, and you look at seeing what's happened ever since 1961 when the contraceptive pill came on the market. We've seen our divorce rates double. We've seen fewer people getting married. We have a record rate of teen and out-of-wedlock pregnancies. The abortion rate is very, very high, and sexually transmitted diseases are going through the roof. To say nothing of the human suffering from the broken homes, the unwed motherhood, etc., and so you tell, you say to yourself, well, gee, um, contraceptives seem to do nothing but just wreak damage upon our culture and on our society, especially with the young. And so I am not going to carry contraceptives in my store because they cause bad things to happen. Now what happens? Again, essentially, you're saying the same thing you said with tobacco and with pornography. Certainly, you have the right to use contraceptives if you want. But I, as an independent businessman, am saying... Even though you have the right to use the contraceptive, that does not imply an obligation on my part to provide you with it. You can go someplace else. Well, when the posse from Planned Parenthood shows up at your drugstore, quite probably with the cameras from the local news station in tow, you will be accused of denying women basic health care. If you try to cite the deleterious effects of the contraceptive mentality on individuals and society, you will be vituperatively reminded that this is not your decision to make. It is the choice of the woman. How dare you be so arrogant and obtuse as to suggest that you can make such a decision for the woman? She, after all, has the right to make her own choice. Now, this may very well be true in the realm of the American legal system. She has the right to be wrong. Why doesn't the smoker or the consumer of pornography then, having the same right to be wrong, why don't they have the same claim against you? So this is where the, this, this huge um, inconsistency at best, and actually it's, it's grand hypocrisy is, is again, we say, well, the smoker has the right to be wrong, but he doesn't have the right to make me cooperate with that. And so we would say, okay, the consumer of pornography has the right to be wrong, but they don't have the right to implicate me with that as the business owner. But oddly enough, with contraceptives, the contraceptive user has the right to be wrong, but mainly because of the tremendous amounts of noise that the feminist groups and Planned Parenthood and all these people make, all of a sudden you are obligated to participate with that. So I think we're going to take a little break now, and um, we'll get back with you here in a little bit, and we'll see if we can't dig into this a little bit further. 
Okay, we're back. Now, in the last section, we were basically asking the question, we pretty much established that we do have the right to be wrong. I have the right to do things that are bad. You have the right to do things that are bad. Uh, maybe not necessarily illegal, but are still bad nonetheless. You might remember the examples we've been using has been tobacco use, the viewing of pornography, and the use of contraceptives. And we pretty much figured out that while tobacco use is bad, I have the right to do it. So therefore, I have the right to be wrong. Um, pornography is very bad for people's outlook on life. It's bad for relationships. It you know brings all kinds of social damage to our culture. And so while it, it brings all sorts of, of damage and, and bad effects, you still have the right to look at it. Therefore, again, you have the right to be wrong. And then we were asking then about um, contraceptives. We see how contraceptives have you know brought all kinds of, of bad effects onto our culture and all sorts of, of sadness and grief into individuals and families. And we say, well, you know, it, it may be bad, but you have the right to be wrong to use it. The question at hand has been, does anybody have an obligation to cooperate with you in doing that? And we use the example of a drugstore. If a person owns a drugstore, do the, are they obligated to carry tobacco for the tobacco users? We figured out that they were not. Um, is, uh, if uh, if uh, someone owns a bookstore or a drugstore, are they obligated to carry pornography for people who want to view pornography? We figured out that they're not. But then, oddly enough, we figured out, though, just by common observation, that if someone owns a drugstore and says, I'm not going to carry contraceptives because of all the bad effects that they have on people's lives and health, then all of a sudden, you've got special interest groups such as Planned Parenthood and the National Organization for Women and so on coming in and saying, no, you must carry this. You must carry contraceptives and morning after pills and things like that. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're denying women basic health care. Well... That's what we want to do. So we pretty much figured out then that there's at least an inconsistency with that. But then the next piece, you know, that, that kind of takes it even further. Does my right to be wrong imply an obligation on the part of somebody else to pay for it? See, I think we would probably pretty much come to the conclusion, again, going back to our example of tobacco, that if someone wants to smoke tobacco, you say, well, you want to do that. That's your decision. It's not a very good decision, but that does not imply an obligation on my part as the drugstore owner to provide you with the tobacco. Well, now what if someone who consumes tobacco products gets together with others who smoke and chew tobacco and demands that their legislators sponsor legislation that would grant taxpayer-funded subsidy or a tax benefit in the form of a tax deduction or tax credit for their tobacco products. You can imagine, what if somebody came up to their legislator and, and said, and, and the legislator proposed legislation to the Kansas legislature, to the House of Representatives in Washington, to the Senate, saying that smokers could go to the government with their empty tobacco with their with their empty cigarette packages and then get a rebate on every empty every empty cigarette pack package and of course who would be paying for that rebate you and i the taxpayer most of us would be outraged and rightly so or again what if a regular consumer of pornography insisted that federal and state revenues be helped to use to defray the cost of that person's pornography 
How would such a proposal be met in the public forum? What would people say? Again, I think that if someone actually in seriousness got up and proposed that you and I as the taxpayer or you and I as the co-signers and all the debt, that, that, uh, that the money that we're, that's being borrowed in our name or the money that's being taken from us in the form of tax revenue be used to subsidize someone's pornography, we would you know, very rightly be very upset about that. We would not agree with that. In both cases, any reasonable person would say that the consumers of tobacco and pornography are simply wrong. They have no basis, legal, moral, or otherwise, to demand that the rest of us as taxpayers would subsidize their behaviors, um, which most people would obviously classify as a vice. So again, you kind of see where we kind of move down this continuum. Does your right to smoke imply an obligation on my part to cooperate with it, to help you do that? No, it does not. Does your right to smoke, your right to be wrong, imply an obligation on my part to pay for it? Well, that takes it even further. And again, most people, I think, would say, well, obviously not. Why can you, how can you possibly justify that? But oddly enough, the taxpayer is on the hook for abortion services and contraceptives. Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest provider of abortion and gets, at least, or at least was getting, hundreds of millions of dollars per year from the taxpayer under Title X. Now, the Planned Parenthood people will say, well, none of that money goes for abortions because supposedly federal law is, is that you can't use federal money for abortions. But Planned Parenthood is the largest provider of abortions, like we just said. And for them to get money from the, from, from the taxpayer and say, well, we're not spending this money on, on abortions. We spend it on education and, and so on. Well, that's kind of like a husband who puts his money, who puts his paycheck into the same checking account on his wife but then claims that none of his money goes to pay for the utilities. It all goes into the same pot. And then whenever either the husband or the wife sits down every month to pay the bills, how can you make the differentiation in the account as to what's going to pay for utilities or groceries or the mortgage payment or the rent or whatever? That's the game that Planned Parenthood plays. They collect hundreds of million dollars from us, the taxpayer, and claim that none of it goes to pay for abortions. Well, it does. And certainly it's going to pay for contraceptives. Now, the, um, and also, when you look at the tax money from federal and state coffers that gets used to fund contraceptives on college campuses. Now, one of the freedoms that we have as individuals, this is kind of the bottom line of all this, we have the freedom to make a mistake. Others around us can try to teach and dissuade us from going down the path of destruction. People, you know, we can have teachers, we can have parents that can tell us, no, you shouldn't do this, that, or the other, and they can try to keep us from doing that. However, ultimately, the decision and the action must be our own. Anything less is not freedom. However, we also have to be allowed to suffer the consequences for our own behaviors. We have seen recently how when people irresponsibly take on too much debt and then demand the taxpayer bail them out, this not only angers the taxpayer, but it doesn't solve the problem of the irresponsible lending and borrowing. We just saw that you know, when the economy melted down in 2008. You know, A big piece of that was people taking on too much debt. Why? Because there was no consequence for it. If you took on too much debt, and if you defaulted on the debt, the taxpayer was on the hook for it, and so therefore a lot of bad decisions were made. If anything, we can see that when you take away the bad consequences for things, it just encourages more of the same bad behavior. So, the bottom line is, I may have the right to be wrong but I do not have the right to make you cooperate with me, and I most definitely do not have the right to coerce you to pay for it. 
So again, I think that's just kind of something for us to think about, kind of seeing the way things appear to have gone in our times. Um, it, it seems like whenever we first allowed the idea to come across that, well, I may have the right to make a bad decision, and my right to make a bad decision implies an obligation on your part to cooperate with it. I mean, one of the ways, again, Father Josh has talked about this earlier on his segment that he did about marriage. And I'm having more and more people come into my office, more people will call me on the telephone with questions of saying, well, but, you know, the problem is, Father, you know, my sibling or my, my child or whatever, they're entering into this marriage and it is not a sacramental marriage. Either they're getting married, you know, out in the middle of the wheat field by some, you know, Wiccan priestess or something, whatever the case might be. And so people, I think they have a, a certain kind of a natural sense that, well, an obligation on your part to do something or a decision on your part to do something does not imply an obligation on my part to cooperate with it. And so, again, you know, I've had, you know, college students at the campus center, they'll come up and say, look, you know, my sister, or my brother, you know, they're in this really screwed up relationship and they're, they're going to get married and so on. And if I go to the wedding, am I approving of that relationship? Well, of course you are. That's why you're going to the wedding. You want to celebrate that relationship and celebrate that commitment. But if something's really messed up about that particular relationship and commitment, which we would probably save for another broadcast, do you have the obligation to go to that? The answer obviously is no. But see, somewhere along the line, the line got blurred. And all of a sudden, it, you know, usually gets boiled down to a, to a, rather than a question of integrity and character, it gets reduced down to a, to a question of feelings. If you don't come to my wedding, you will make me feel bad. And you don't want to make me feel bad, therefore you should come to my wedding. Well, the other person has lost the ability or lost the, the words to say, your wedding is compromising my character and my integrity. And therefore, you do not have the right to impose upon me, you know, this guilt trip or whatever about coming to your wedding because you do not have the right to compromise my beliefs, my character and my integrity. That part of the conversation has been chopped off for some reason. And so, again, I think we go back and we look at this right to be wrong. I have the right to be wrong. I have the right. Again, I'll just use the examples one more time in case you just tuned in. I have the right to smoke tobacco. I have the right to view pornography. I have the right to, to use contraceptives. I have the right to enter into a really messed up relationship with someone. I may have the right to do that. I have the right to be wrong. But I think, again, the bottom line, I think when all is said and done, and common sense, I think, would tell us this, but I think maybe we just need to kind of review it one more time, that my right to be wrong does not obligate you to cooperate with it and much, much less to pay for it. Again, I'm Father Fred Gatcher. Um, thank you for listening, and may God bless you this day and always. Thank you for listening to Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Folks, heaven exists but it's unseen. These airwaves exist, but are unseen. So if you can help save souls for God's heavenly kingdom, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated, and it will help us continue to bring you great shows like this one. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7, KJDM Salina and Lindsberg, 88.1 KVDM Hayes, and 88.1 KRTT Great Band. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.